welcome to the Cover Crop Strategies Podcast. I'm Sarah Hill, Associate Editor. Today, I'd like to introduce Joe Eichley, an Assistant Professor and Extension Specialist with North Dakota State University. Joe will be discussing how to use cover crops to manage weeds. Welcome to the podcast, Joe. Thank you, Sarah. Glad to be here. To get us started, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so, you know, as you mentioned, I'm, I'm now up at North Dakota State University. I've been here for almost two years now. Prior to that, if, if we kind of go back to the beginnings, I, I grew up in Maryland, not on a farm, but uh, helped out a, a family friend with his farming practices. You know, for those that are listening in and that know anything about Maryland, it's a pretty large state when it comes to the percentage of acres that are no-till. And cover crops get used quite a lot in Maryland, so it's kind of nice to always be able to, to talk about cover crops when the opportunity arises. I got two degrees at the University of Maryland, my bachelor's and my master's, and I started with the extension weed scientist there during my undergrad days. After getting my master's, I went out to Purdue University in Indiana to get my PhD. I kind of worked full-time as a research and extension associate while working on the degree. And then once I graduated there, I uh, took the extension weed scientist position up here at North Dakota State. So kind of keep moving a little bit west and a little bit north each time I move for a professional job, but ended up here at North Dakota and, and really enjoying the opportunities up here. And I guess that's kind of the quick and dirty background for me. That sounds great. It sounds like your next move will be somewhere in Canada if you keep up the current pattern. <laughs> well, that, if I have to go north, that's kind of all that's left unless I switch continents. So <laughs> uh, we'll just keep it in the U.S. and we'll just kind of hope that this is the last stop here. So yeah, go to state. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. So let's go ahead and, and get started talking a little bit about cover crops and, and managing weeds. Let's get started with the basics. Um, talk us through some of the, the basic level information of how cover crops work to suppress those weeds? Yeah, so this is, you know, kind of always one of these questions that we get as weed scientists. You know, if I kind of go back even further, some of the reasons for cover crops have never, they never really started out as intentions for weed control. It's kind of always, you know, something else, nutrient management or preventing soil erosion. And then kind of along the way, People either start asking questions or noticing things and start to ask questions about like, well, what about weed control with cover crops? And, you know, we, we do have some data on this and, and it's always kind of good to keep looking at the systems and seeing how things work. You know, and, and a lot of it really does come back to direct competition with weeds and also shading out the soil. So one of the mo most classic examples of cover crops for controlling weeds that we can talk about and probably gets used the most would be uh, a cereal rye cover crop uh, with a lot of biomass produced in the spring. So if we have a, a very large rye cover crop and then we use something like a roller crimper to knock that down, it can create a mulch on the soil that prevents uh, a lot of sunlight from getting down to the soil surface. And a lot of these weed seeds that we deal with, a lot of them will have some sort of light uh, requirement for germination. And so in that case, we could have something you know, as, as simple as, as a mulch type of uh, uh, technology or, or system here uh, for controlling the weeds. You know, there's a reason why we use mulches in the gardens to prevent uh, sunlight and, and help weed suppression. In this case, with a high biomass cover crop, uh, we get kind of the same thing here. Uh, the other you know, component would be with direct competition with some of these weeds. 
more of a uh, suppression, uh, more so than control. And this we could also kind of point to rye as a good example of, of how we can look at this. So with the rye cover crop that we would plant in the fall, if we talk about a weed like uh, mare's tail or horseweed, uh, anyone listening in Canada would call it a Canada fleabane. So a, a weed of many different names. Tends to be a winter annual, so it might be germinating the same time that uh, rye is being planted. In this case, we have a, a crop, but in this case, we're calling it a cover crop, directly competing with that plant. And so do we, in this case, prevent germination of mare's tail? Uh, probably not in a lot of scenarios, but it's directly competing for, for water, nutrients, sunlight, and it's going to make the mare's tail plants less, um, less competitive than if we did not have a cover crop in that type of situation. It's also kind of direct competition with, with the weeds. And then there's kind of the other part, and I think we'll get into this in more detail later, about allelochemicals or allelopathy. And this is something that when we look at the hard science of it, we, we know that this is, you know, it's these compounds that a plant can produce for a number of different reasons, and they do have some herbicidal type activity. How much that plays into weed control with cover crops, we can tease it out a little bit, um, but it's, it's in general not the, the leading cause of, of weed control or suppression with cover crops, but it's another kind of piece that we can add to the puzzle of how cover crops can help control or suppress weeds. That, that's kind of the top three things I'll really discuss when it talks about, you know, weed control with cover crops is, is a mulching effect, competition, and then also some allelopathic effects. So you mentioned cereal rye as, as one of those major cover crop species that uh, is, is good at helping control some of that mitigation and, and mulching. But are there other cover crop species that uh, can help with that competition or serving in that mulch capacity? Yeah, certainly. Uh, so when we talk about cover crop species for weed control, when we look at the weed control standpoint, you know, a lot of the research that's been conducted to date always kind of points back to the main thing that we need out of a cover crop is biomass production in the spring. And so any of these cover crops that can be high biomass producers could help us achieve these goals. We just tend to point towards rye because it's cold tolerant, so it survives the winter quite easily and produces a lot of biomass in a hurry in the spring. Uh, but so, you know, a lot of the research out there, and a lot of this does stem from the northeastern United States. Uh, they're kind of, you know, um, several years ahead on the research for cover crops in general compared to some more Midwestern or Western states. And so, you know, up there, they basically found that regardless of the cover crop, if you get, you know, I think it's about 7,000 pounds of biomass per acre, is their general cutoff of above that you consistently see weed control or suppression in the spring. Now, what will be interesting as we get more data points in the, in the Midwest and Western states is if that, you know, that poundage requirement that they found up in the Northeast, how that carries over to other states because we're gonna have states where we don't have the growing conditions in the fall, winter, and spring to achieve that type of biomass with a number of species. And so it may be that, you know, rye becomes the model plant for some of these areas that that we just can't attain that, or there could be other species that, that could uh, we could attain that with. But yeah, it really just comes back to that question about biomass. Are there other species? Uh, yes, you know, some of these competitive ones, other winter small grains will not produce as much biomass as rye, but can, will do enough to help us get the, get that job done in many um, instances. And, you know, some are, are 
ones that we look at in the fall that may not overwinter if we have uh, something like you know some of these turnips or radishes if we have them produce enough biomass in the fall will they help out with spring weeds in, in many cases no but they can help out with some of these fall germinating weeds if, if we accumulate some biomass but like I said, there's, there's some options. It kind of all ties back into biomass, and that's why for a weed scientist, we, we typically point towards rye as kind of the, the go-to for a weed suppression or weed control standpoint. So now, from a soil standpoint, how do cover crops work to suppress those weeds, even from the, the soil aspect? Or do they have any impact on the soil that re- helps with weed suppression? As, as far as impacts on the soil that help with weeds, I, I just don't think there's a whole lot of data there. You know, it shows the soil composition change could be what leads to some impact on weed suppression. Um, you know, I'm not, not really saying that that's not the, the case. There, there could be certainly some things like um, increase in organic matter or, or change in some C to N ratios. Um, you know, there could be some things that do slightly influence the impact on the weed community, uh, but there's there's no data out there that I'm aware of that shows you know direct contributions or changes of cover crops to the soil having much of an impact on on our weed communities. So for my next question, you kind of alluded to this earlier when talking about allelopathic cover crop species. Remind our audience again what that means, and um, are there certain cover crop species in specific that um, have those allelopathic traits. Yep, yeah, so with uh, allelopathy um, or allelochemicals, again, these are, these are compounds that are produced by plants, and, and they could achieve a number of different goals. But when we tend to talk about them, they're more for do they have anything they contribute to weed suppression. And it's not just crops or cover crops that can produce these allelochemicals. Uh, some of our, our more important and common weeds can actually produce them as well. Uh, things like horse nettle or Canada thistle have been documented to produce allelochemicals. And so, you know, when we look at it with weeds producing them, when we look at a, a dense patch of Canada thistle or, or horse nettle, the number of other weed species and their competitive ability in these large patches will tend to be reduced. And so we'll still find some weeds there, but they just don't, you know, grow quite as, um, quite as robustly in these type of patches, and that's in part due to allelochemicals. And I should say this is, again, just kind of a reminder, these are, you know, chemicals produced and exuded through root or other mechanisms. So this is a, you know, an ability to make other weeds around these plants less competitive, not just due to competition. And when it comes to cover crop species, again, rye is the one of the ones most well uh, researched about allelochemicals. Um, a lot of times, you know, I've kind of heard anecdotally that uh, someone who tries, for instance, corn after rye, the corn comes up, it looks a little bit yellow. Maybe that's historically been pointed towards being the allelochemicals at work. Um, you know, I'm not a nutrient specialist, but I do know I've, I'm seeing some of the, you know, emerging research that, you know, in that case, it may just be more the nitrogen tie up. And so it's more of a, you know, nitrogen that, that uh, a lack of nitrogen available to corn. And so that's why we also want to talk about allelochemicals with weed control as well, is that they, they probably play some part in the weed control, but it's, it's not going to be contributed 
you know, all the weed control of a, a rye cover crop won't be attributed to the allele chemicals. And, you know, weed scientists did try to, to look at this exact question. Uh, about 20 years ago now, a paper was published by a group, um, John, John Teasdale was the scientist out of USDA, looking at rye um, straw, either incorporated into the soil or on the soil surface and how that influenced uh, weed germination or, or weed control. And in general, weed control or weed germination was slightly influenced by incorporated rye, but it was much more influenced by rye being on the soil surface. And so that was just kind of a, a quick, easy way to look at, you know, these, as these chemicals we know, they can be released, these allelopathic chemicals can be released as that uh, mulch is degrading. And so, you know, it had some effect of reducing germination and competitive ability, uh, but, you know, a lot more of the uh, cause of the weed control or suppression in this case was attributed to the, the mulching effect on the soil surface. You know, it's kind of, uh, you know, A plus B helps uh, to make C better. So in this case, they kind of work together to help with weed control. Um, as you also asked other species, another one, not what we would typically think of as a a cover crop since we typically think of uh, planted in the fall, terminated in the spring type of cover crop. But for those who use a summer cover crop, uh, sorghum species would also be one that would, uh, that would have some little chemicals that they'd uh, contribute to the system as well. So there are a couple, they tend to be the grasses that we look at. Okay, so maybe you talked about this a little bit earlier when you were discussing uh, some research that had been done in the northeast part of the United States, but um, are there certain geographies where one cover crop species would work better than another to help with weed suppression? Yeah, and that's a great question. You know, a lot of the research has historically been done and conducted in the northeast, but uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to work better for weed suppression in the northeast. Just um, you know, that's where a lot of the research has been conducted for a, for a variety of other reasons. As far as, you know, cover crop species working for weed suppression, I think there's a good chance of that happening in a large number of geographies. Uh, the Mid-South, they're, they're really looking at some, um, uh, some cover crops for weed control on things like Palmer amaranth and, and trying to work those into the system uh, where you have a weed that we, we kind of need to look at any tool possible for control because just relying on herbicides tends to be failing on the large scale. If I kind of flip that and, and talk about geographies where I might have a concern about the ability of a cover crop to work, um, I, I would just say more arid uh, geographies. So, you know, here in North Dakota, I'd say maybe Western North Dakota, I'd have more concerns of trying to use this as a system for weed control than the Eastern part of the state. And the reason I bring that up is because of, of the moisture usage of cover crops. And so kind of the, the thing I, I like to like, I like to take a holistic approach when, when we talk about trying to incorporate cover crops for weed control. And the thing is we can't really grow a good crop if we don't have moisture. And some of these areas where it's more limited moisture, uh, we, we don't want to risk at times, you know, tying up all that moisture early in the season into the cover crop. And so we, there's, there's right now a, a kind of a lack of research of trying to work these cover crops into weed control in those more arid regions. Um, but I think it might be a little bit more 
uh, fine-tuned or the research and answers would have to be a little bit more fine-tuned compared to some places like the northeastern United States where they might get 40 to 50 inches of rain a year and that moisture limitation is never really a concern uh, or on the minds of many compared to areas of the country where moisture kind of is the number one driver for growing a crop. So some research that needs to be conducted, but that, that's kind of the one place in my mind where I would have some concerns. Absolutely. No, that, that makes perfect sense. So let's kind of switch gears here a little bit. Um, what about cover crop termination? Does, does the timing of termination or the method that's used to terminate cover crops, does that have any impact on weed suppression? Yes, yes it does. And this again kind of goes back to, you know, when I talk about weed control, it all points towards biomass production. So that being the case, you know, if we're doing, dealing with a, a, a winter annual cover crop such as rye, the longer we can let that crop cover crop grow into the spring and accumulate biomass before termination, uh, the better results we would expect out of weed control. As far as um, termination methods, there's, there's currently kind of two, two main ones that we could point towards uh, for terminating the cover crop prior to planting a crop or actually, you know, after planting the crop if we're planting green. And that would just be through herbicides, uh, glyphosate just being the most popular one uh, for cover crop termination. Uh, I alluded to earlier, these roller crimpers, um, these roller crimping in, uh, implements that get used, you know, by, by a lot of people who have been in the cover crop game for a while. And this is kind of a, a non-herbicide way of controlling something like rye. It's kind of got its own art and science too of when, when you crimp for maximum impact, but it, it's basically a way to terminate the, the rye plants and then lay them down across the whole field. Versus if we just kind of plant with our row units, we'll, we'll control the rye within that row unit as we have it set up where we plant our, our main crop and then just use glyphosate or another herbicide to kill the stand. And then we don't have all these plants laid over on top of each other, creating a more thicker mulch and that type of situation is more of an open canopy. And so that's kind of the, the, the two main ones that are, that people would really talk about. And as far as, you know, for weed suppression, we, we do see in the research that uh, the roller crimper will help us out, get more weed control and suppression than not having a crimper um, for, for that termination. Okay, that's, that's good to know. So you were talking a little bit about planting and, and seeding cover crops. Does the, the seeding rate determine that amount of biomass that a cover crop is able to generate and then which then of course helps with weed suppression? Yeah and and this is this this one can be kind of interesting at times throughout research. Uh, so if I look at some of the research conducted by my colleagues in I believe Iowa and, and Kentucky are two examples I'm thinking of where timing or seeding rate has been something that's been evaluated. And I, I believe in both cases, uh, in a given year, there, there was a case where seeding rate did not largely affect the amount of biomass produced the next spring. And so, you know, somewhere plants can compensate for a lack of, of you know, a lack of seeding rate or lower seeding rate. But I, I'd say in general, you know, a higher seeding rate will help us year in and year out, but we can't have these anomalies where uh, lower seeding rates can produce the same biomass. And, and I, I guess I'd point towards, you know, that's biomass being collected in the spring. 
you know, if, if our goal is, uh, let's say, using the, uh, a rye cover crop to control mare's tail that also emerges in the fall, in that case, I think a higher seeding rate would, would help us because we have more plants when they're smaller helping to uh, compete with the winter annual weeds um, compared to when we're just looking at biomass accumulation in the spring before planting. So it's kind of a, it's kind of one of these questions that has, you know, a couple of different answers and it mm -hmm. kind of goes back towards, to, you know, in my mind, you know, what's, what's the end goal here or the main goal? Are you, you know, are you going for um, horse weed, mare's tail suppression, or are you trying to control palmer amaranth? And, and uh -huh. you know, the answer is going to be a little bit different, I think, and it, and it could also differ across geographies. Sure, sure. So we've talked a little bit about some of those cover crop species, but what about using a cover crop mixture instead of just a single species if weed suppression is one of the goals when growing cover crops? Yep, and, and this, this again, a uh, good question because we, we certainly get this a lot. And this is, you know, honestly where a lot of our research may, may be for the weed control aspect a couple of years behind what's being actually adopted and used in, you know, on the commercial level. But again, you know, again, we, with some of these mixtures that we've seen, you know, we, we may be relying on the biomass production of rye, but we could have another species in there to help out for whatever that end goal of, of the mixture is. Another thing I guess I could point towards is, you know, one of the reasons that we'll, we'll talk about using these cover crop mixtures when, it, when we talk about just cover crop establishment might be to hedge our bets uh, for getting a, a stand established in the case of, you know, let's say a, a late herbicide application that could have some residual effect on the cover crops when we plant them in the late summer or the fall. And so in that case, you know, that could be a, a, you know, a situation where we have a, a herbicide with residual in it that might uh, very well control the one cover crop that we're trying to establish. But if we have a mixture, we'd still have, you know, a, a number of plants that could easily survive depending on the herbicide by cover crop interaction. And we would still get this biomass and this competitive effect out of the, what to say, the cover crop blend as a whole compared to if we happen to choose one species that happened to be very highly sensitive to that herbicide we applied earlier in the year. So, you know, in the absence of herbicides, it, it still kind of comes back to the ultimate question of, of biomass, but uh, uh -huh. certainly something to consider with some of these mixtures um, after, you know, when we're trying to establish them as what herbicide was applied earlier in the year and how could that affect the actual establishment of the cover crops. So now when we're talking here about cover crop establishment, typically that might happen in the spring. And as we've talked about, you know, to give cover crops plenty of time to get that good biomass and to be very competitive with potentially weeds as they're budding and starting to germinate and grow. That's also the time when growers are wanting the soil to warm up as quickly as possible in the spring to, to get ready for planting. Is there a concern or balance there that where growers can still get that good cover crop establishment and help with that weed suppression, but then also still allow that soil to, to warm up to get ready for spring? Yeah, and, and I'd say, you know, kind of, if, if we're looking for that type of balance with, um, you know, getting the soil to warm up quickly being one of the main goals, you know, the, the earlier that we could terminate the cover crop would, would be, you know, better for achieving that goal. 
And I'd like to point out that, you know, we're, if we're, if we're going after some later emerging weeds like uh, water hemp or palmer amaranth, we, we may not achieve the weed suppression goal. We, we probably won't if we, we, if we terminate too early. But if we look at the system as a whole, we're still going to get some help for weed control out of those cover crops with our winter annuals, like horseweed, mare's tail, for those who have uh, chickweed, crestleaf groundsel, just, you know, name the, the winter annual weed you're dealing with in your geography. We're still going to get help with the cover crop on those weed species. And if we terminate that early enough, then whatever weed species are still there within the cover crop, we'll probably pick up with the herbicides and that'll give us a, a better advantage against those weed species as we get into planting if we want to terminate early to let, let, the, let the soils warm up to get ready to plant. And so it's, you know, okay. like I said, if, we're, if our specific goal is a late emerging weed such as Palmer and, and we're terminating early, we're probably not going to get the full benefit. Well, we're not going to get the full benefit. We still know how much benefit we would actually get, uh, but it's certainly helping against other weeds. And we kind of have to think about all the weeds that we're dealing with year in, in, uh, year, in and year out. Well, that, that kind of leads us to our, our next question, looking at your operation as a system and, and not necessarily one specific area. So what would be your guidance to growers on cover crop selection? Should they evaluate their operation by each field? Because, you know, some fields may have different weed problems than others. Um, or, or is it better to just use one type of cover crop across all of their acres? That's a great question and, and one I, I always do like to answer and enjoy answering and, and working with people on. In, in my mind, it should be an every field, a field-to-field -field basis. And I believe what you should be asking is what, is what is the purpose of the cover crop in that field? And for many fields, weed control may be on the very bottom of that list. And so in that case, I, you know, I'd encourage them to uh, to contact agronomist or soil scientist uh, to learn kind of what cover crops may be of most benefit in that field if weed control is very low on, on the list there. If, you, know, you kind of have to look at the end goals for why you're using the cover crop. If weed control is high on that list, based on the research we have there, we, we would encourage the high biomass producing cover crops. Uh, the other thing that we like to bring into consideration, you know, have certainly had, had issues or instances pop up where someone goes completely to one cover crop pro uh, program across all their fields. And we have, like I mentioned earlier, a case where uh, we apply some herbicides and then stand establishment of the cover crops that are planted in the fall uh, could be problematic. And that in some cases it's, has led to the thought, well, should we just drop residual herbicides out of the program to work the cover crops in? And in my mind, if weed control is your yeah, if you want to get good weed control on the farm or in the program, I would not start by stopping the use of residual herbicides in order to establish cover crops, uh, especially when we're dealing with our most problematic weeds. You know, we, we need to get the weed control program in place first. And there's probably some cover crops that we could fit into that system uh, for some of the other benefits you might be looking for, such as preventing soil erosion, uh, nutrient management, things like that. So I, I think every field should be a field-to-field -field basis, what the end goal is. Uh, and there's certainly a number of questions that could be asked of every field, and we control mm -hmm. is really just one of those questions. So um, my, my last question, and you kind of alluded to this in, in your previous response, how do growers balance the costs when looking at, you know, of course there's a cost 
several costs involved with planting and terminating cover crops compared to using herbicides and the costs associated with that for weed suppression. Yep, and that's that's kind of always always the uh, the final question, right? Is is it, it comes down to money in many cases, and again, this this could depend on what weed you're going after. Uh, so if you're going after winter annual weeds, uh, then you you might be able to get a lot of your bang for your buck out of the cover crop rather than with her, with herbicides. Uh, if you have a weed or if you have a field with low um, weed uh, pressure in general, and they're all early emerging weeds. Uh, something like common lambs quarters, then you may get a whole lot of uh, use out of a, a rye cover crop that you roller crimp uh, to the point where if you, um, you know, you, you may be able to reduce the germination of those weeds down to almost next to nothing with certain situations, lambs quarters being one of those that it could be a real good fit. So that could help out in that, in that type of manner. Uh, something else that we'll talk about, or I haven't really talked about yet on this uh, podcast, is one of the things that we can see with cover crops on something like water hemp or palmer amaranth is do can we use it to replace herbicides? In, in the case of those weeds, we're finding not really, but we can delay the number of days it takes for those weeds to germinate and reach up to four inches in height, which is one of the height cutoffs of many of our herbicide labels. Uh, so in that case, you know, we're... You, as far as profitability, um, maybe not moving the needle much, but it's helping us with our weed control side of things by applying herbicides to the appropriately sized weeds. I, I guess the last thing I could add there is uh, we do have some some states uh, that do have programs with NRCS where you can get a certain amount of money uh, for planting a, a certain cover crop um, at a certain time of year. So I know my home state of Maryland, you know, before I, I left there in 2012, I know that there's some watersheds. If you planted rye on the right time in the fall, you could get up to $100 an acre uh, back as a rebate. And so that's wow. another thing to kind of factor in is if you have a state or you're in an area of a state and you can get some money out of planting uh, cover crops, um, then that can also just kind of factor into the profitability of, of your whole system as well. Sure. Okay. Before we wrap up here, where could our listeners go to get more information about cover crops and, and using them for weed suppression? Yeah, so yeah, I kind of would point a lot of people towards their, their own state's extension uh, service or weed scientists there if weed control is the number one uh, question on someone's mind. Uh, there are some more regional efforts. The Midwest Cover Crop Council has really done a, a pretty aggressive and good job of trying to accumulate research across the Midwest areas of the country and, and kind of all things cover crops and even including pests. So how, how can cover crops affect weed control, plant diseases, uh, insects? And, and they do a pretty good job. So the Midwest Cover Crop Council is, someone, is somewhere I'd point for regional effort. There probably are some in the other regions of the country that I'm not aware of, but being placed in the Midwest, that's the top one of my mind. Like I said, ultimately back to your uh, your extension service uh, specialists like myself. We have, you know, at NDSU we have a soil health specialist, and she's a great resource for cover crops. And other universities certainly have their their own researchers and extension specialists uh, working on cover crops for a variety of different reasons. Uh, so those uh, might be a little biased towards the uh, university side, but that's where I'm at, so I'm I'm going to be biased. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, thanks so much to, for joining us today, Joe. I really appreciate your time. 
Absolutely. It's fun to be on. And thanks to our listeners for joining us. For more information about all things Cover Crops, visit us online at covercropstrategies.com.